This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, May 19th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellums. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Let's begin this Friday show like we begin so many other Friday shows with Michael Tilley on the phone with us from his office in Fort Smith. Welcome, Michael. Well, thanks for having me. I'm still not sure about your wisdom of starting the show off with me. Seems like you would want to start a little stronger than that, but good. I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, how have things been at Talk Business and Politics this week? Busy. Uh, it's had a bit busy. Uh, we've had a few gifts, uh, at least one gift land in our lap. So, and you, you, um, when you not say, so much a gift, but anyway, <laughs> it is what it is. When you say gift, you mean here is a news story. Here's something that can go to the top of talkbusiness.net, and it's referring to a letter suggesting that Fort, Fort Smith school board members didn't have all the information about something. Right. It's uh, um, about. Um, not only the flooding at the Peak Center, which, just to back up a little bit, this Peak Innovation Center, it's a, uh, it's a great facility. It's a feather in the cap of, of this cap of this large millage construction project that the Fort Smith Public School District undertook a few years ago, and is, I think, largely, if not completely finished. Um, it's a great regional workforce development. Uh, a lot of schools use it. Um, so what we're about to talk about is is not we're not diminishing peak because that is a great facility. I, but I think the point is it is such kind of a high profile facility and a good regional asset for workforce development that makes it even more disturbing that the top brass at the Fort Smith Public School District uh, has not been honest uh, not only with the Fort Smith Public School Board but with contractors and consultants about um, about construction, the best construction, best design and engineering, and flood prevention, um, uh, and flooding and flood prevention. And so we've reported on this um, in the past, but the reporting just really didn't get any traction. In fact, the school board members were willing to back the school administration. But We'll see how um, patient they are now because this is quite embarrassing. I'm not sure how they uh, just ignore this. But anyway, um, Half Associates, and it's H-A-L-F-F, they bought Morris and Shipley Engineers. They sent a letter to the Fort Smith Public School Board members in May, and it's a pretty damning letter. It's a 24-page document that essentially says, look, you guys, we've been trying – to provide good engineering um, information, good um, options to the school board, to the school staff, and they're not taking it. And they're not telling you uh, about these options we're providing that are in the best long-term interest of the district and of the peak facility. And, and um, we think you need to know about this. Um, in fact, they, they uh, noted in the letter, they said, we volunteered on more than one occasion to be at the board um, to talk about this, and we were told, you know, thanks but no thanks. Um, they talk about several instances where, where they told the school board not to take certain action in terms of drainage, that if they did that, it would make the problem worse. And the school district went ahead and did the thing that they told them wasn't going to work. We've learned more about this, the concrete flooring that should have, that part of it should have been. Um, 
pulled up and re-poured uh, and put a water vapor water vapor barrier in. I know we're getting down in the weeds, but um, that is causing some of the flooding that we're seeing now. That would have, if they would have done that way back when they were working on on renovating the building, it'd have been a little over four hundred thousand dollars. Would have taken added maybe just a few weeks to construction. Now that's almost impossible to do, Kyle. It, it would almost be engineered uh, impossible from an engineering standpoint to do. And if they did, it would cost millions of dollars. Even so, by not taking some of these recommendations, now the school district is faced with at least at least a three three point nine million dollar bill. It's probably going to grow from there to fix some of these um, flood problems and fix some of these. Um, uh, flood remediation, drainage remediation problems. So the letter, it's a 24-page letter. It was sent to school board members. It wasn't made public, though, right? It was the engineering firm sending it to the school board members. Did did one of the right. members share it with the public? Or how did how did Talk Business find out about it? We had a source provide mm. us a copy. And then we also, at FOI, the school district, ah. to get a copy to make sure that what we received was real. Um, and so... You know, we we get stuff from sources all the time. Some of it's not legitimate, so you always take an extra right. step to ensure it's legitimacy, which is what we did. And sure enough, the school district provided us with the same document we'd received from a source. So it's a it's legitimate, and again, it's it's pretty troubling. Let's keep talking about money. There is a special election in August, early August, August eighth, I believe, that is in regards to the Sebastian County uh, sales tax. Yeah, this is a this is a critical tax for the county and for the especially for some of the cities, or all the cities in the county. Uh, you're right; it is set for August eighth, and it's a one percent countywide sales tax. Um, last year, almost thirty four million was collected from from the tax, and it's apportioned out based on population, based on city population. So. Fort Smith, not surprisingly, Fort Smith received about 70% of the collections last year, a little over 23 million. But it um, it's a critical, and, and in Fort Smith, it's critical because it funds, uh, provides a significant amount of funding into the city's general fund, which provides funding for police, fire departments, for some basic city functions. But, you know, in Greenwood, um, we talked to Greenwood Mayor Doug Kinslow. He talked about um, they received two and a half million uh, of that uh, last year, and that was uh, over seven percent of their budget. And he talked about, uh, or that was seven and a half percent of the total collections. Um, and he talked about how that uh, makes up a, a healthy part of what they do. He called it hugely important. Um, you know, Barling receives uh, a little over; they receive about one point two million. And they talked about how um, all the funds from that go to support their fire, police, and parks. And he talked about there would have to be serious cuts uh, in those areas. And Barling, um, for those of you readers who haven't been, maybe the Force of Metro, or listeners hadn't been the Force of Metro in a while, it's a growing little city, uh, primarily because of what's going on out at Chaffee Crossing. And I could just go down through the list of cities that are in the county and how critical. Uh, it's become and how much they'd have to cut back. Sebastian County itself, uh, it's about 10% of their funds. And we talked to the Sebastian County judge, Steve Holtz, and he said having to find 
you know, having to cut 10% out of the budget would be painful. So um, this tax has been around for 30, uh, roughly 30 years. Uh, it, it was first approved by voters in 94. So did I, did I do the math right? Anyway, since 94, uh, it's been approved in 10 year intervals. It's the good thing I like about this tax. It has a sunset on it. So voters can decide whether these cities and counties have been using money wisely. So August 8th, uh, there'll be uh, election to re-up. Kyle, we have not heard any from any opposition group yet, so it'll be interesting to see um, if anyone opposes it and if uh, how much the public gets behind it again. It's it's often passed by pretty pretty good, healthy margins. It seems like once a year or so, you and I talk about a golf course in the Fort Smith area that's in the news. It's our chance to do it again with Deer Trails Golf Course. What's the deal here? Well, Deer, Deer Trails is the the golf course that used to be part of the the chat at Fort Chaffee. It was the military based golf course, and ever since that that part of the property was donated back for civilian use, it's been a it's been a golf course. Um, for whatever reason, this is one of those puzzlers, and I'll just be very brief about this. But the Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority has marketed the property for sale. Although no one wants it sold, everybody wants it to be to remain a golf course. The developers around the area want it to remain a golf course. Golfers, there's a restaurant located near it. Um, it's not a money lo- losing golf course. It makes money. Um, it employs a lot of folks, um, but for some reason, the FCRA has dug their heels in and said, "No, we're going to list it for sale." The city of Fort Smith is opposing it. In fact, the portion of Board of Directors has passed a resolution, which is non-binding. It doesn't have any authority, but asked that the redevelopment authority to donate that property to the city, and then the city would make sure that it remains a golf course in perpetuity. But again, Kyle, this is just one of those head scratchers where almost everyone in the community believes that the best use of that property is to continue to be a public golf course, one of only two uh, public golf courses in the whole region. Uh, they want to keep it a golf course, but for some reason, uh, the trust and they, I'm not going to go into the technical little silly reason that they say they have to list it for sale, but um, other than to say it's technical and it's silly. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this works out. All right, you can read about all of this and much more at talkbusiness.net. Michael, as always, thank you for your time. Hey, you're welcome, sir. That's Hammond B3 organist Larry Goldings. And I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz. On this edition of the show, we will hear more from Larry Goldings as well as Hampton Hawes, Tia Fuller, Astor Piazzolla, Anat Cohen, and much more. Tune in every Friday and Saturday for Shades of Jazz right here on KUAF. Still to come on today's show, this weekend there will be a free night of Johnny Cash-influenced entertainment. The Arkansas Cinema Society will show the Johnny Cash biopic Walk the Line, and before that movie at Walker Park in Fayetteville, live Johnny Cash-inspired music from Smokey in the Mirror. Brian made a list last week of some songs we we're interested in doing, and how many did you gather? We wrote down 39 songs, and then we're like, oh, that's too many. <laughs> yeah. And so we boiled that down to about 12 or 13. Yeah, so we have a good 45-minute set prepared and working on it. 
how you decide which Johnny Cash songs to play during a 45-minute set later on today's Ozarks at Large. Fayetteville Public Television offers classes in video production plus accessibility to equipment and broadcast channels to share your videos with a viewing audience. Serving all residents of Washington and Benton County, Fayetteville Public Television can help people turn video ideas into reality. FAYpublic.tv for more information. Freshgrass Bentonville, the two-day all-ages music festival, returns to the momentary May 19th and 20th. Celebrating today's bluegrass and roots music, featuring L. King, the Del McCory Band, Arkansas, and over 30 bands in all. Single and two-day tickets are now available at themomentary.org. This is Ozarks at Large. Illinois River Watershed stakeholders cover topics impacting the area at the second public meeting for the Illinois River Watershed Management Plan took place yesterday in West Salem Springs, Oklahoma. The Arkansas Natural Resources Commission and the Oklahoma Conservation Commission hosted the event. Attendees separated into two groups to talk about rural issues like stream bank erosion and urban problems like flooding that has an impact on the watershed. Officials like Tate Wentz, Arkansas Natural Resource Commission's Water Quality Director, say the plans created through Arkansas and Oklahoma help address pollution but are non-regulatory. So the last two watershed management plans, each state kind of developed them while they have the same key elements that are required by EPA. This is, again, a holistic approach that we're doing this in concert with each other. So the watershed management plans are going to look very similar. Now, each state will develop their there's independently, but we are sharing data, we are communicating, posting these meetings, so again, taking that holistic watershed approach. There are expected to be two more meetings, and the next gathering will recap the information from the previous meetings and provide an update on drafting final plans. Greg Clarkson, Director of Soil, Health, and Water Quality for the Oklahoma Conservation Commission, says remediating the watershed is an ongoing effort. No other, I just might say that this, this is not a new effort. I mean, this is something that is a, a, a continuity of effort that began years ago. Updated numbers from the United States Census Bureau show Northwest Arkansas continues to be the fastest-growing metropolitan region in the state. Yesterday, the Census Bureau released population estimates as of July 1, 2022. The region added just fewer than 13,500 people from 2021 to 2022. That's a population increase of 2.4%. The Census Bureau estimates the Northwest Arkansas metro population at nearly 563,000 people. The Fort Smith region grew by seven-tenths of a percent. The Fort Smith region population now more than 247,000 people. Even though Northwest Arkansas remains the fastest-growing region, Conway was the fastest-growing individual city with a population of more than 50,000 people, with a 2.5 percent increase in the 12-month period. Among cities with fewer than 50,000 residents, three fastest-growing cities in northwest Arkansas. Tawnytown, the fastest in that category, with a population increase of 16.7 percent to more than 6,500 people. Highful experienced a population increase of 16.6 percent, and Farmington grew by nearly 14 percent.
Happy Friday. This is Ozarks at Large. We're going to make your Friday happier because here's Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Thank you so much. Can I have an aside for just a minute? Absolutely. This is the first day of life at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette without Rusty Turner. Rusty, who's been in journalism... 40 years. And has been... At the paper that eventually became the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette through different iterations for a long time. For a very long time. He and I have been at the paper together for over 30 years. And today is the first day of his retirement. Congratulations to Rusty. So How y'all doing over there What now? I'd like to say if he's listening is get up and put on some pants. <laughs> no, not the first day of retirement. you <laughs> you got some grace time here. We're all right. It's yeah. just, you know... When you've worked with people that long, it's more than working with people. Of course, yeah. So it feels a little funny, mm-hmm. but we're happy for him. Really, we are. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's that part, and now let's get on to the business of All this. right. All right. If you run into Rusty, though, ask him to see the fake front page that we made for him. Okay. You'll want to. Okay. So this is a smorgasbord. Mm-hmm. This is one from several pots okay because we've got a little of everything we've got theater which always comes first when i'm doing this i understand well, it's yes. mine. a lot of people know the show the last five years i have heard of it but i don't know much about it i don't either i've never seen it but it was a movie people loved it written by jason robert brown it's the story of a couple that are breaking up it's told by one of them looking back Mm-hmm. And it's told by the other one from the beginning going forward. Oh, interesting. So they meet in the middle at the wedding. Well, uh. a group of thespians in Bentonville has decided to put a new spin on it and is doing it with bent gender. Okay, okay. So in one version of it, both characters are played by women. In one version, both characters are played by men. In one version, it's played the traditional way. And in the fourth version, it's played with a man and a woman, but they've switched the character roles. Okay. It should be really fascinating. And it's people that you have seen on stage here and know. Benta Francis, Brittany Tavernero, Jacob Andrews, and Peter Gaskin. It's going to be kind of amazing. When you say one version, one version, does that mean like a Friday night is one version? Then yes. if you go there, okay, I got you. Yes. So you could go to four productions and see, and see really four different, four different shows. I got you. And if you check out our story in WhatsApp, it will tell you who's in which night. Okay. Show is tonight and tomorrow night at 7, 2 o'clock on Sunday, and again next weekend at the Thaden School Performing Arts Center which in Bentonville. Beautiful. Beautiful I have not room. been in it yet, oh my so I've got my tickets for Thursday. It's $25 at Eventbrite. It should be really interesting. Okay. And again, check out what's up. It'll tell you who's on which day. Gotcha. This weekend is fresh grass at the moment. Yeah, it is. Which gives you a huge choice within it of everybody you can think of. The problem is it's a little expensive. $156 general admission for two days. But it is a festival. But it is a festival. I mean, and there you, are many people playing. Oh, right. Yeah. But if that's a little out of your price range, mm-hmm. then here's a couple of other choices. Okay. The Hierarchies will perform a free <laughs> show at 2 o'clock tomorrow at the Ozark Mountain Smokehouse in Fayetteville. This is 
a rock band with an archy vibe, which sounds great to me, and donations will be accepted for the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust. Okay, and it's the higher archies. Yes. Okay. Or on Sunday at 4, you can go to Eureka Springs and see Anitra J at the Eureka Universalist, Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. It is $20, and it is a benefit for the Writers Colony at Dairy Hollow. Very good. I like that little church. I've been there, and it's it's snug, and it's it's going to be a great venue for music. And I don't know her music, but I know she was born in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that tells me all I need to know. Oh, there you go. Tonight, which means I'm going to be skating out of here to head north, is White Street Walk in Eureka Springs. One of the best, right? It's always hot. It's always sticky, it's always humid, and it's always so much fun. Y Street Walk is now in its 32nd year, I believe, 33rd year. And it was started by four folks that had known each other in Memphis, including Zeke Taylor and Mm -hmm. Mary Springer. And they decided to have an art walk on the street they all lived on. There's like 40 artists that find their own little places to set up in somebody's driveway or on their front porch. So you can see a lot of the art of Eureka It's just fun to walk around. Starts at 4 o'clock today till 10 o'clock. It'll be a good time. Yep. Movies. Mm -hmm. The Artist and the Astronaut. The Arkansas Debut. Yes. Do you know about this show? A little bit. This is... The story of Pat Music and her husband, Apollo astronaut Jerry Carr. If you've been around here any time at all, you've heard Pat Music's name on the art scene. She has one of my favorite public art pieces that's over by uh, Crystal Bridges. Um, I'll think about it. I'll, I'll remember the name here in a minute and tell you more about it, but go keep going. But this is this is a film that was made because Jerry Carr was teaching in... Back east somewhere, and met these filmmakers uh, in Vermont. Met these filmmakers, Bill Munch and Todd Hoban, mm-hmm. and they ended up becoming friends and went, Oh, these are interesting people. They're very interesting. And so they made a film. And this is its Arkansas premiere at seven o'clock tonight. At the Walton Art Center in Fayetteville, it's part of Artisphere, so it's free, but tickets required. And you can get those at thewaltonartcenter.org. Her sculpture that's near uh, Crystal Bridges is called A Place Where They Cried, and it's about the Trail of Tears. Mm. And it's one of those public art pieces where you look at it, and the longer you look at it, the more it makes sense and the more it really moves you. They're both really great people. It'll be a really interesting movie to see. Or if you're into history, that was sort of history, mm-hmm. but this is even more history. And if you're into E. Faye Jones, mm-hmm. the Shiloh Museum in Springdale has a new kiosk, an interactive kiosk, where you can use gaming technology to see four of E. Faye Jones' buildings. This is cool. It's very cool. Thorn Crown Chapel is one of them up by Eureka Springs. Stoneflower, which is a chapel-like house in Heber Springs. Mm-hmm. These are things you wouldn't, I mean, you can go to Thorn Crown, but right. these are things you otherwise wouldn't see. And it was created by two University of Arkansas professors, Greg Herman and David Frederick, who decided, hey, gaming technology, this could be cool. And apparently there will be a, an accompanying app 
later. And this is, you've got a chance, this lasts till the end of the year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you also, while you're there, should go see what's in the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History because it's an amazing little museum. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It has more history per square inch. You could stay there three days and Mm -hmm. not see all of it. Mm -hmm. So this is a good excuse to go to the Shiloh Museum. There you go. And that ought to give you a little bit of everything until next week. Well, now that you bring this up, um, we're going to take a two-week break. Okay. Um, Do I still get paid? <laughs> we will pay you exactly the same amount Well, the next two weeks that we've been paying yeah. you for the last 12 or 15 okay, send years. The, send the Diet Coke to my house. Okay. Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. It's the Community Spotlight Week in Review. I'm Pete Hartman. After this gloomy week of mist and rain and gray, we need this weekend that is packed with events all over the KUAF listing area, and the weather may just work with us. We'll start with Phoenix Arts, located atop Mount Sequoia here in Fayetteville. On Saturday, the Art House will host the community event, Women Speak. It's part of the current exhibit, Angry Women. We thought it would be different by now. Earlier this week, I spoke with Susan Idlett, one of the artists with the exhibit, She expands on that title and the meaning behind it. Well, I definitely think that we all thought it would be different by now. I'm sure that resonates with women across the board and and everybody. But we invited our artists uh, to use this theme to express whatever specific personal or collective feelings that they have about the state of women. There's no shortage of reasons why women are could be angry right now. Many have experienced assault, abuse, economic injustice, job discrimination, and for women of color or members of the LGBTQ community, even women with disabilities, the reasons for rage can be compounded. And we're still in it. We thought it would be different by now, but this is a space and this event will allow the audience to be surrounded by these amazing images of anger expressed in an artistic form. And, you know, when we, we, we've we used that word a lot now, anger, it's that focused, it's that constructive anger that then can get change going. Absolutely, because we really believe that anger is a fuel for change. Now, again, this event this Saturday, it's Women Speak. This is a roundtable discussion. Now, this should be interesting. What's going to be taking place? Well, we have several women who will be on the panel, okay. including Raven Cook, who is an award-winning leader. Um, you Listeners oh, for yeah. KUAF may have heard her Reflections in Black yes. series. Uh, a wonderful uh, Native American activist, Alicia For- Forrest, will be there to talk on behalf of indigenous women. And Natasha Devon is an MFA director, playwright, and published poet. Okay. Um, and she will be here to read some poetry. Susan Idlett with Phoenix Arts. She says keep an eye on their social media as they will have a summer full of exhibits to come. Also taking place this Saturday, the Ozark Natural Science Center. Arkansas's only residential science center located between Huntsville and Eureka Springs will host its Call of the Wild event. Here's Rose Brown, executive director. Yes, well, we have an amazing lineup for Call of the Wild this year. As you know, we are a nonprofit, and so we we really rely on the community to help support us. And one of the ways we do that is with two annual events. Call of the Wild is our spring event. And we have it at at the Botanical Gardens to make it really accessible and easy for people to come to for a one-day event. And this year we have music from Candy Lee and Three Pines, so we'll have live music the whole time. We have activities, nature and science activities, including um, radio tracking. 
for the kids and adults. That's a really fun way to see your way around the garden with a, a radio tracking device and try to find the locator. And we will have our ambassador snake there. We'll have other games. We'll be doing a performance of the Lorax for oh, everybody yes. to enjoy. And we will have lots of food and beverage so people can just hang out and enjoy a beautiful day in the outside. Rose Brown with Ozark Natural Science Center. Tomorrow's event at the BGO will also feature the release of a red-shouldered hawk back into the wild. ONSC.us if you'd like to know more. Nina Hammer, farm manager at Cobblestone Farms located on Weddington here in Fayetteville, visited with us this week. Cobblestone Farms works to grow food specifically for hunger relief, but also helps to teach and show others how to do the same. Their annual garden party is coming up June 3rd. It is going to be a very fun day. It'll be a family-friendly, free event. We're going to have farm tours. We have our baby lambs right now. Okay. We're going to have baby chickens and baby pigs. And we're going to have a bounce house, um, some local food trucks. Margaret's food truck is going to be there. Petal Pops is going to be there with some popsicles incorporating farm produce, which will be really fun. And it'll just be a really great day to get people out to the farm and, again, to connect to community. Registration? Yep, we okay. have a registration on our website. It's just cobblestonefarms.org. And on our homepage, there's a big button to take you to the registration page. Um, we have volunteer shifts every week. We have individual volunteers every Wednesday and group volunteers every Friday. And then we have one Saturday a month where we have volunteer opportunities as well. And those are all on our website. And again, that's cobblestonefarms.org or check out Facebook. We'll wrap up this week's review with another event coming up next Saturday, the Washington County Master Gardener's Garden Tour. Here's Judy Smith. This is just our second year okay. to have this tour. It was originally part of the Flower Garden Nature Society, and they turned it over to us a couple of years ago. But, of course, because of COVID, we couldn't have it until last year. So last year was our first it is a fundraiser for Washington County Master Gardeners, and we use the funds to pay for the symposium that we had in March that was free to the public and was garden-related. I think up to seven gardens this time? Yes, seven this time. Uh, we always want to include one of our sanctioned projects, and this year it is the compost demonstration garden over on the extension grounds. We also have three of the gardens belong to Master Gardeners, and uh, we have a lot of diversity this year. We were really pleased about the variety that people will see when they go to the tour. The Master Naturalist that we love to partner with will have a native plant sale there uh, in the parking lot right by the compost demonstration garden. Judy Smith with the Washington County Master Gardeners. There will be tickets available at each of those gardens but you can also get those now online at wcmgar.org. The Community Spotlight on KUAF can be heard weekday mornings right here on Ozarks at Large and at our website, kuaf.com. Just click on the Community tab at the top of the page. I'm Pete Hartman. You can email me, that's pete at kuaf.com. And remember, your voice matters. This is Ozarks at Large. We may still have a few weeks until summer is officially here, but with most schools close to being out or already out of session and hot temperatures on the horizon, 
we thought it would be a good time to cool off with a summer treat. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth takes us on this ice cream run. On any given day during the summer, patrons to the Fayetteville Public Library can find a respite from the heat as soon as those sliding doors whoosh open. And while a good summer read might be tantalizing enough, some others might want something a little more, well, edible. I am Ellie Molinari. I'm the manager of the Arcegas location in the Fayetteville Public Library, and we are making moon snow ice cream today. Molinari says a few years ago she decided to start serving something besides coffee at the Arcegas location in the library. You know, I've worked here for almost seven years and I've been really proud of the way that the Arcegas train for coffee. Um, but you know, that's not as approachable to everyone all ages. And so to be having this really special, incredible product here in the library and, be, and make it available to people, it's been impressive to see how much that really means to people. She serves up the signature ice cream all year round, but says the best flavors come out in the summer. Today she's making the base sweet cream flavor, as well as a strawberry rose flavor. Special ingredient, the thing that makes it different uh, from sweet cream is just these rose petals, and we're gonna add it directly to the milk and sugar mixture, so it can boil out the flavors. To make the ice cream, she also uses local strawberries from Reagan Family Farms out of Fayetteville. Molinari says using local products and churning the ice cream on site are all part of making the final product fresh and special. Um, we try to do things seasonally. So I have right now, I have sweet cream, chocolate, vegan, vanilla. Those ones we will always carry. And what else do I have? Lemon icebox. Um, that is like made from lemons that all squeeze directly into the sweet cream and then make that, um, turn that to order. Pink right now is um, a sauce from Reagan Family Farms, the strawberries from Reagan Family Farms, and that goes directly into the vegan vanilla and turn to order. And then the strawberry rose strawberries also from Reagan Family Farms and the rose base. So the ideas kind of come from like we're hoping to do seasonal local ingredients. So let's... But she says making that magic can sometimes be an arduous process. Okay now this is the part that is specific to the machine that we use here because I'm going to now pour the base directly in the canisters and they will have to freeze solid before I can use them. So that's another thing. Um, it ends up being kind of challenging because I can't just make it the morning of and it be ready. I have to make it at least 24 hours in advance for it to be able to freeze solid. The so, machine they use is called a Paco Jet, which looks about the size of a coffee grinder and churns the individual canisters of ice cream to order. Sometimes it's embarrassing how loud this machine can be. And in the middle of the library, it's like, sorry, everybody. Um, so here we go. 
She says this process helps make each scoop fresher and a lot more like gelato than traditional ice cream. And that's partly because during the pandemic, Molinari took a gelato course in Italy. Well, virtually, that is. So they were live over Zoom, and I had to wake up at like, you know, midnight in order to attend these like eight hour classes. Um, so I am a certified gelato person, gelato making person. Um, she says this passion for ice cream and gelato came out of the pandemic. It was such a crazy emotional time for everybody. And I just felt like this was a really good way. There's so much joy in ice cream, gelato. It's, it's like an emotional product, you know? There's comfort and joy. You can enjoy it at all times. I'm like a huge, I think I was telling you this, I'm a huge like ice cream for breakfast fan. Yeah. Um, because it just feels so, it feels so, it's such a treat. It feels so good to have. Um, great way to start your day, in my opinion. That's what I do. It's got calcium. Mm-hmm. That's good for you. Dude. <laughs> Better than a sugary cereal. There you go. Or cinnamon buns. Mm-hmm. Just come on over and get ice cream. <laughs> Um, but also because uh, growing up, um, we had this little ice cream shop called the Big Dipper in my hometown. And walking in there as an adult and smelling that smell, it just was so nostalgic, you know? And I really wanted to, just the way that the library is brand new, I know that people have connections to like the the kids' story time and baby bookworms and all of that, I wanted to connect all of those things together. And so these kids have the nostalgic memories of their childhood, and I really wanted to be a part of that. In a large vat behind the coffee counter on a portable burner, Molinari preps the next batch of the sweet cream base. But we use Ozark Mountain Creamery milk and heavy whipping cream. This is spent vanilla, and then this is mixed with tapioca starch. This is going to thicken it up um, once it's boiled, and then I'll put this in. Thickens it a little bit, and then some cream cheese. Next, she preps the rose and strawberry mixture. Bag of rose buds and petals. The jewel-colored flowers mix into a soft pink mixture in the pot. Make sure melted in there. There we go. And finally, after letting the mix cool, she then tips the cream into individual metal canisters and then drops them off in the freezer so they're ready for the next day. Now off to the freezer for fast cooling. And now, of course, the most important step, the taste test. Check it out. I've got the rose base underneath and then the strawberry mixed with it on top. There you go. Taste some with me. Tell me what, uh, what we're supposed to taste. Okay. I'm supposed to taste this ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can get the, the strawberry immediately. Mm-hmm. 
and then it's like even a couple seconds after you've swallowed it, it kind of like all of a sudden you've got this intense rose. So I did like a lot of taste testing, you know, and it's just really cool how many different flavors and things like it, it's it's awesome because it seems limitless right now. It's it's brought a whole new angle to my life, actually, you know, so it's it's meant a lot to me so far. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Daniel Carruth. Daniel Carruth stories for Ozarks at Large, be it about the environment or about ice cream, produced inside the Karen Taha News Studio. Marty Stewart believes country music can be a road into the heart of America. The road is my office. A nice way to live a musical life is to report on what you see. That's a troubadour's job. The Country Music Hall of Famer sings in the spirit of classic country and talks about his new album, That Conversation, plus all the news Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend edition Saturday with Scott Simon tomorrow morning from 7 to 9 on KUAF. And you can listen to KUAF anywhere by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF. Sunday night, the Arkansas Cinema Society will bring music and film together for a free showing of the Johnny Cash biopic, Walk the Line. The movie will be shown at Walker Park in Fayetteville. Before the movie... There'll be live music from the duo Smokey and the Mirror. They'll be playing a set of songs associated with Cash. We want to know how Bernice and Brian Hembry are putting together that set list, but we weren't sure we'd be able to track them down during what is a busy month of concerts, appearances, and the upcoming opening of the Folk School of Fayetteville. But yesterday, we did find them for a quick phone conversation. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Bernice and Brian have experience performing in settings outside the normal concert situation. They were part of a band that played every night before and during Theater Squared's production of Sundown Town. But they think this is their first time to play before a movie. At least in our in our recent memory. That's, <laughs> you can't think of one. <laughs> right. And, of course, this will all be, your performance will be music inspired by uh, Johnny Cash. It is. Yeah. I think we're all all cash either songs that he has done, written, or uh, has his name on somehow. Yeah. 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 We kind of have a selection of Johnny Cash songs that he wrote, some gospel tunes that were definitely in his repertoire, and then um, choice covers. You know that he made his own. So how they decide which songs from that iconic song collection of Johnny Cash they'll perform Sunday evening. Brian made a list last week of some songs we were interested in doing, and how many did you gather? We wrote down 39 songs, and then we were like, that's too many. Yeah. And so we boiled that down to about 12 or 13. Yeah, so we have a good 45-minute set prepared and working on it. 39 songs. I mean, I get it. I understand. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're not, because Johnny Cash wrote and performed. He, He had a lot of songs, and he has a huge collection of albums and not all of the songs are his but a huge collection of songs that he performed and did so when you're putting the set list together do you think like it's a, a, a like a normal set list you want the peaks the valleys you want some some that are a little faster some that are a little slower 
trying to cover all the the emotion of Johnny Cash. So, yeah. so we have we have some of his kind of slower songs that might make you cry, and then some of the the um the ones that are a little more humorous, like uh, Big River, I find to be a little a little cheeky, and it's a little more up um, lighthearted, I guess we could say. And some of his gospel tunes. See, I find that song just sad. It's a heartbreak song. Oh, really? Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> are these yeah, all all the songs you've decided to put in the set list? Are they ones you've performed before? I don't think so, right? Most of them not. Um, we're going to do "Ain't No Grave." Uh, you know, we've had that in our set list for a long time, ever since Sundown Town back in 2011. Yeah. Um, and when we, you know, when we play that on the road or out of state. Um, people go, oh, Johnny Cash. So they recognize it as that. When we play it in Northwest Arkansas, at least folks that have been here for a while still remember it as, oh, that song from Sundown Town. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna. That's the only song in the set that you know we play on a regular basis. Everything else is something that we we know by heart, but needed to kind of learn and brush up on. Smoking the Mirror will play music of Johnny Cash at Walker Park in Fayetteville Sunday night. The music starts at six thirty. The screening of Walk the Line, presented by the Arkansas Cinema Society, will start at 7.30. The entire event is free. More information at ArkansasCinemaSociety.org. Historic Cane Hill presents Nylog and Beyond, 20th Century Swirl Art Pottery, now through July 8th. This exhibition features the swirled missionware and pieces inspired by the Arkansas-made Nyloak pottery. The historic Cane Hill Gallery is open Thursday through Saturday, 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. and by appointment. More at historiccanehillar.org. The Artisphere Festival Orchestra concludes its 2023 residency at Walton Arts Center May 20th with a finale main stage performance presenting composer Otterino Respighi's Roman Trilogy, featuring more than 90 premier musicians from around the world under the baton of maestro Corrado Rivera's. Tickets available at artisphererefestival.org. Monday on Ozarks at Large, there she is. Miss America. And so many people have said, what was it like when you heard your name called out? And it was like the, the flashback of all that many years of training and working and preparation and how proud I was. We'll hear from the Miss Arkansas winners who became Miss America. We'll hear them through the audio archives from the Prior Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Randy Dixon has the archives for us to hear on Mondays, Ozarks at Large, at noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF. You can also listen to the show on your schedule with the free Ozarks at Large podcast. Remember to join us Saturday night for If That Ain't Country with your local host, Western Red. As always, we've got nothing but the very best in traditional country, honky-tonk, bluegrass, and western swing. From our feature here, which this week is 1988, we've got music on the way this week from The Judds, George Strait and Holly Dunn, and we'll also be remembering the first album from one country music icon in over 10 years. This is a Friday edition of Ozarks at Large. New movies coming out, and one of them is called Master Gardener. To find out whether it's worth our time and attention, I welcome back to the show Courtney Lanning. Courtney, how are you? Kyle, I am here. How are you? I'm pretty good. This Master Gardener film, Joel Edgerton, Sigourney Weaver, it's about crime? And gardening. And gardening. Um, yes, th- those are the two uh, big names in the movie. Um, 
Joel Edgerton is the best part of the movie. And I think the, the first half of the film is really what held my attention, surprisingly, because it's, it's all about him being this very rigid gardener. Um, he, there are hints that he has some sort of shadowy past that the movie unravels later. Um, but for the first half of the movie, he's talking about the history of Western gardening, the difference between um, English gardens and French gardens, and when different types of flowers bloom, and the soil of history, the history of soil. And I don't know, I just, I found it extremely fascinating, surprisingly fascinating. Um, and he just, he gives this very rigid performance, as I said, where he is just this gardener who is obsessed with the garden, and it's, it's his entire life. Uh, he works at this garden that is owned by Sigourney Weaver, who plays um, a wealthy older woman who is losing her mental faculties. Mm. Um, and she does fine in that role. It's the second half of the movie where things kind of fall off. Well, it's being marketed as a crime thriller, so as interesting as gardening can be, it's not a crime. So is that the second half of the movie, the, the crime connection? Yeah, so eventually um, Sigourney Weaver introduces her, I guess it's her great niece, to Joel Edgerton's character and asks that he make her an apprentice of the garden. All good, all fine. Um, but then they leave the garden, and that is the interesting setting. That's where the conflict exists with Sigourney Weaver's character, and she loses her mental faculties and becomes more violent and prone to outbursts. Um, you know, he leaves with The Apprentice, and for the next half of the movie, you get into all the crime. You figure out what his backstory is. Um, you figure out he really hasn't done penance for anything in his life, really. Um, and there's some character transitions that just don't seem to make a lot of sense. Things just happen because script tells things to happen. Um, mm. There's a, a romance between him and The Apprentice that just doesn't seem to make good sense to me, but... The writers inserted anyway, because how can you have a movie without romance? It just the second half veers into some overly familiar crime aspects, and um, I was left kind of disappointed with the overall project. Did you feel like this was in the first half a movie that could have been better had they gone a different direction? Absolutely. If they had stayed at the garden again, where the interesting setting was, um, if Joel Edgerton's character had wrestled with his demons there if he had to find ways to help this apprentice who has a rough life of her own, if he had found ways to help her grow there, that would have been interesting to me as a movie. That would have kept it on track. It's just, once you leave the garden, the, the movie switches to taking place in all these seedy motels, and it's all very bland and mm. everything we've seen before. Okay. Um, you know, I wanted this story to be something, but I was given something else, and that something else left me disappointed. So what I imagine this film will be for those who see it instead of Fast X this weekend um, is it'll be a 50-50 split of people who agree with me and go, yeah, yeah, I really wish it would have been something different versus people who go, what are you talking about? This movie is great. And it is in theaters. It is in the theaters. As is. Okay, I'm glad you said the name of the other big release that's out this week because I didn't know if it was Fast 10 or Fast X. I assume it's Fast X. <laughs> <laughs> it's the continuation of the Fast and Furious franchise. Yes, it's Vin Diesel driving cars and him and his crew somehow saving the world by 
increasingly cartoonish antics. <laughs> that too in theaters. We're going to have a break for the next couple of weeks, but hopefully our schedule works where you and I can talk about the next animated Spider-Man movie. I'm hoping for it at End of the Spider-Verse, man. Ever since it won the Oscar in, I want to say 2019, um, people have been itching for the next one, and we're finally getting it. We'll talk about it when we come back, hopefully. Where can we find your full review of Master Gardener? You can find it in today's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney Lanning, talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. If you have a business or organization within KUAF's listening area and want to support public radio while connecting our thousands of engaged listeners with your services, consider becoming a KUAF business member today. Starting at just $500, you'll be linked on our business members directory and mentioned during our spring and fall on-air fund drives. Sign up today at KUAF.com. The 12th-ranked Razorback softball team scheduled to start play, weather permitting, in the NCAA tournament tonight at Bogle Park, Arkansas, scheduled to face Harvard, Oregon, and Notre Dame, scheduled to face each other earlier in the Fayetteville NCAA Regional. The surviving team out of those four moves on to the Super Regional. That's the last step before Oklahoma City and the NCAA College Softball World Series. Meanwhile, the number 2 Arkansas Razorback baseball team Getting closer to an overall SEC title, Arkansas opened their last regular season series with an 8-2 win over number 12 Vanderbilt in Nashville last night. A combination of an Arkansas win and a Florida loss tonight would clinch the conference race for the Razorbacks. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Springdale, and Deer. Contributors to this Friday show included Daniel Carruth, Pete Hartman, Michael Tilley, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope also contributed uh, contributed to the show today as well. Additional assistance from Timothy Dennis. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Daryl and friends, by the way, have formed a new surf rock band, The Killfish. They have a brand new CD out. You can learn more about them wherever you already learn about music online. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks so much for being with us. Have a great weekend from the Carver Center for Public Radio. Please be well.